Danny Mac Show with BK. Podcast powered by I Promise. Now, here's Danny Mac with BK. Three two pitches first time up against Jay Happ and now launches one to center field and deep and shoots, shoots, Sugio hits another home run. That is hammered. Deep left. Goodbye. Into Big Neckland. Number 19 for Paul Goldschmidt. Gift on the right side and a high fly ball out to right. Newt Bar back. What a catch it was, and that did save the game yesterday. I don't think it would have been a home run, but certainly two runs are going to come in to score, and then it gets really interesting in the uh, top of the ninth yesterday. The Cardinals salvage a game against the Pirates in a series that really they needed to either take two of three or sweep, but uh, they do win the game behind Adam Wainwright. What else is new when you have a couple of losses? You turn to Adam Wainwright, and he wins a game for you. It's been a remarkable season for Adam Wainwright, I just mentioned uh, on the crossover, he's now tied for fourth among all pitchers in baseball, National League, American League, doesn't matter. He's got 12 wins. He's done that now, I believe, 12 times in his career. Second in innings pitched, 162 and two-thirds, and he's a week away from his 40th birthday. Dan Mac, uh, Danny Mack, Dan McLaughlin, Danny Mack Show with BK on 101 ESPN, and we're presented by Summers Wealth Management. Um BK, first of all, good morning. Hopefully you had a great weekend. Good morning, Dan. Thank you. Yes, I did. I was out in Pittsburgh, actually, this weekend. Well, kind of Pittsburgh. What I learned about Pittsburgh this weekend is kind of like St. Louis, where if you say you're going to Pittsburgh, you might not actually be going to the place that we see behind PNC Park. You might be going 45 minutes north where you're kind of in like West Virginia-ish land. That's where we really went over the weekend. But we had a blast. We were able to celebrate the newlyweds that we were uh, there for. I had a really good time. I think I had a better weekend than the Cardinals did, Dan. That was a little disappointing to come back and see, oh, two out of three uh, for the Pirates. That's not what you're looking for. No, very disappointing. Uh, A shutout for the Pirates on Friday night for nothing. Cardinals had a lot of opportunities to score they did not then saturday you had a lead couldn't hold it for the first time in a while henesis cabrera gave up a lead cardinals lose it 5-4 but they win yesterday and uh, so they dropped two or three against milwaukee they dropped two or three against pittsburgh adam wainwright on the cardinals in their last two series that pirates team played inspired baseball this whole series i think they they didn't like getting you know, swept at home by us last time, and they were going to come over here and fight, and they, they sure did. But they played a couple of really good ball games. You know, they didn't make many mistakes. They played great defense. They got timely hits, and that's what it comes down to, and that's what we're going to have to do going forward if we want to win these tough games. Have to do that. The Pirates, by the way, uh, entered that series in August 2-15 and 15 against the Cardinals. They were 2-15, and 15, so they dropped 15-17, to 17, and Adam Wainwright knows the bottom line is you got to win. We're just going to have to come out and play – with our hair on fire, honestly, we're just going to have to come out here. We got nothing to lose now. We're we're uh, we're a little bit down, and and you know we we're playing catch up. But every single day is the most important day of the year. It's it's hard for me to say that because I've always told these guys that my day is the most important game of the year. But every game we play from now on is uh, the most important game of the year. Well, the Cardinals in Game One, 0 for seven with runners in scoring position. Game Two, two out of seven with runners in scoring position. Game One, 12 left on. Game Two. 
nine left on. Then yesterday, two for 11 with runners in scoring position. They left 10 on. So the weekend as a whole, not pretty. Uh, four for 25 with runners in scoring position. And and if you're going to win, that can't happen. Yeah. Uh, for what it's worth, the Cardinals and Mike Schilt will let you know this. He mentioned it after every game when he was when this was brought up. The Cardinals have been much better with runners in scoring position going back to June 24th, which is when they had that conversation about their approach and how they became one to one dimensional. Since then, they are fourth in Major League Baseball with a 294 batting average in those spots. So credit where it's due. They had previously been good in these spots over the last two months. That being said, it was not good enough over the weekend. And against a team like the Pirates, you have to come through in those spots. I understand you had been better previously, but you are now in an urgent situation where all of these games matter, especially when you go into the weekend and you can potentially gain some ground on the Padres because they once again did not play well over the weekend and the Reds did play well. So now it is the Reds who hold sole possession of second place in that wild card standings. And the Cardinals are four and a half games back. You needed to pick up at least a couple of wins over the weekend, Dan. And it was the lack of success with runners in scoring position that ultimately led to them not getting that. So the Padres right now are 68 and 58. They have dropped nine of their last 11. And one of those wins came down to the final strike. They're just not pitching well. They're not playing well. Doing a little research here. Reds, as you mentioned, if it ended today, they would be in. June 30th, the Reds lost to the Padres. They were 0-5 on the season against San Diego. Eight and a half games behind the Padres in the Mm. standings. That was back on June 30th. So less than two months later, the Reds have passed the Padres for the second spot in the National League wildcard. So one team got hot. Joey Votto got hot. Might be an MVP candidate. Probably is. And the Padres are looking for any kind of pitching because they just don't have it. Yeah. And if you look, we're doing the schedule watch, right? And I think that I'm, I I think I'm officially done with that for the Cardinals. But for these other teams, we can start doing it. Uh, The Reds do have the Brewers this week. So if you're looking for a chance to gain some ground on the Reds, this might be the time to do it. We just saw the Brewers. That's a one hell of a baseball team. Uh, They do have Burns and Woodruff both going in this series against the Reds. So that's the potential of the Reds dropping at least two out of three against the Brewers head to head. Cardinals got to take advantage once again. And I don't care who they play. I don't care if it's the Pirates, the Tigers, or if it's the L.A. Dodgers. The Cardinals just have to play better baseball. This is going to be about them now. It's no longer about the schedule because here's starting pretty soon got a bunch of games in a row against quality opponents and that's been their bugaboo all season long mike shell was asked after the game yesterday about runners in scoring position how do you improve that we don't want to underreact we don't overreact so there's some first of all it's real positive 29 hits three games traffic all over the place super frustration we weren't able to cash in and, and be able to because we do we win all three um i don't think there's any secret about that we played we pitched and played well enough to do that some balls get hit at people Throw the guy on there, make some pitches. I feel like the approach is there. You know, we've been fourth in baseball with runners in scoring position since the 24th of June. So you're looking at at two months now, coming on two months. So the Cardinals, uh, basically about a month ago, they got Jack Flaherty going tomorrow. Detroit is in town. It's just a two-game series. Then it's a day game on Wednesday. By the way, it's supposed to be sweltering hot this week. So that'll be interesting on Wednesday. And then... 
head out on the road. And maybe that's the defining road trip for this club. We, we've said it a lot, but they've got four with Pittsburgh and two other stops on a long road trip and see where they wind up after that. Jim Hayes of Bally Sports had the chance before yesterday's game after two tough losses to catch up with the president of baseball operations, John Mosellock. Well, I mean, obviously you look at the last couple games, it's, you just never had that big hit. Um, but of course, you know, this is a game of where they keep track and, and records matter. And so unfortunately, you know, losing those two games um, hurts, especially when you're competing for a wild card spot. So I, I think the, the real thing to focus on now is between now and the end of the season, we just have to find ways to get wins. From our standpoint, you know, we're starting to get healthy. Getting Jack back uh, is super encouraging. We'll get KK back here um, today. A couple of additional arms probably by the time we get to September as we can expand rosters. So, you know, now it's, you know, can we take advantage of, of the schedule we have? KK goes to the bullpen, by the way, so that's where he is going to be, at least for the near future. And Wayno, where would this team be Holy without cow. Adam Wainwright? Holy smokes. That was his fourth start of the year of uh, eight or more scoreless innings pitched. He's the first pitcher with four such starts at age 39 or older in a year since Randy Johnson back in 2004. The last pitcher with more than four starts and eight scoreless innings at age 39 was Tom Seaver in 1984. And that was a different game and how they played and starters going deep. Uh, he had five. So right now he's at 162 and two thirds, second most innings pitched in baseball. It's been a remarkable year for him. It really has. And Dan, you've asked me and I know we've talked about this with a number of different people over the last few weeks. Is, is there any chance he gets into the Cy Young conversation? I I, still I think he's think in the top 10 right now if you were voting, top 15. He's definitely in the top 15. By any statistical measure, old school, new school, whatever, he's he's a top 15 guy. It's getting hard for me to say no on the top 10 now. I think you're starting to approach that where the innings are going to speak for themselves. The ERA is now starting to creep further and further up based on the fact that he's going seven, eight innings scoreless consistently now. I think he's got a real shot to be in the top 10 in the NL Cy Young conversation, especially if he's able to continue this moving forward. And for the old school voters, you mentioned the wins earlier. He's now top five in the National League this year and wins. That's going to speak to a certain portion of the voting fan base. So I, I was going to say this. So let's take out the wins, okay? Because people say wins don't matter. Some sure. of the voters don't look at that. They look at innings pitched, strikeouts, ERA. I think it's I was doing the numbers after the game yesterday. So he's going to face Pittsburgh again. Mm -hmm. He's had their number. What is it? 19 consecutive scoreless innings, whatever it is, you know, handful of hits, four or five, whatever it's been in that span. So if he has like six or seven scoreless this weekend, he has a sub three ERA. I mean, you know, sub three ERA and potentially leading the league in innings pitched. It speaks. By the way, what would that value of a contract be? Whew. If you were actually talking about on the open market yeah. or anybody, I mean, you're talking 20, 25 million. Yeah. 15, pro given his age, probably 15 to 20, right? Somewhere in that range. Take, it, take the age out. What do you think the, uh, you know, just if say he was like 30. Yeah. Just say, here's the numbers. Oh, if he was younger, I mean, you'd be talking about a multi-year 20 to $25 million deal. It's unbelievable. What's yeah. he back for? $5 million, Something like that? $6 million. I think it's a lot it, of incentives. incentives. I think he, and he'll probably hit most of them this year, probably oh, yeah. close to 10. So yeah, he, that's one of the best value deals of baseball this season. He's so, been unbelievable for them, Dan. You know, Wainwright has talked about 
it, the fact that you you look from his perspective, seven innings. You got to go seven innings. So now he is among the league leaders in innings pitched. That was my one goal that I was kind of willing to talk about before the season was leading this league in, in innings. After last year, I felt like I, I was going to be able to come close. You know, I knew I was going to be able to throw a lot of quality games. But, um, you know, Wheeler had a big lead on me. And uh, I've been gunning for him for a while now. You know, he's the guy I keep looking up going, all right, I'm coming, man. I'm, I'm coming after you. And uh, he keeps throwing out sevens, you know, so it's making it hard. But I'm, I'm, uh, that was my goal coming into the season was to lead the league in innings. And then everything else is going to fall into place. And he just might do it. It was really a, a cool weekend, despite the fact the Cardinals dropped two of three. That was disappointing. But you did have uh, the honoring of Lou Brock with Jackie throwing out his wife on the uh, first pitch on Friday. Hall of Fame Saturday. Yesterday was all about Bob Gibson and his wife, Wendy. Very emotional going around the track in one of the convertibles. And then... Uh, Bob's son threw out the ceremonial first pitch to Tim McCarver, which was really, really cool. So, Wayno is, uh, he's been the guy the Cardinals have needed. He's going deep into games, and Mike Schilt noticed, hey, it happened on a day when you're honoring Bob Gibson, too. You know, Wainwright's our modern-day Gibson, which is which is saying something. You know, I listen to, and always marvels, and I won't get them right, so I won't try the exact numbers, but, you know, his numbers, Mr. Gibson's, were just startling. You know, obviously one ERA, but the number of complete games, he went out there with the ball and he brought it back in. And, you know, Wayno, similar deal. That was not an easy discussion with him, conversation after the eighth. But that's the way Wainwright goes about it. Um, great competitor, fierce competitor, and goes out and, and, you know, puts his team on his back. I think one of the most amazing stats in the sport of baseball, and uh, it'll never be matched again, Bob Gibson won 251 games. He completed 255 yep. Now think about that. 255 complete games, 251 wins. That's unbelievable. It's remarkable. It, it reminds me of the stat that you, I asked you, this was a few months ago now, uh, what your favorite Cardinals trivia fact is, right? Yep. And, and you went back to Stan having the same number of hits at home as he has on the road, the symmetry of it. I also think that when you have a player who is known for something and Bob Gibson, his bulldog mentality of just bearing down at all times and eating the innings that the Cardinals needed him to. I think that stat is kind of indicative of who he was for the Cardinals and what kind of a player he was. So I, I, I always love hearing that one. Yeah. Nick Leva is coming up. He is a, uh, a coach long time here in St. Louis and also with the uh, Pirates, but we thought with the Cardinals Hall of Fame weekend, he had a front row seat to watch some of those great players that were inducted this weekend. So we'll catch up with Nick Leva. This is the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. I mentioned that I had the chance to uh, MC the Cardinals Hall of Fame ceremony this weekend, um, which is always a privilege to do it. And I know it was really special for Whitey Herzog to see uh, some of his guys go in. Tommy Hurd, John Tudor, Keith Hernandez, Bill White also went in. But uh, Nick Leva had a front row seat and joins us now on 101 ESPN. He was a coach at that time, seeing those guys play day in and day out. And uh, Nick, as always, we appreciate your time and thanks for hopping on with us. How you doing? It's a pleasure. I'm doing great. I'm out here in uh, in hot Arizona. <laughs> Supposed to be in the hundreds again today and the rest of the week, but uh, it's okay. Uh, but I'm doing fine. 
love the fact that those guys were, uh, you know, put into the St. Louis Cardinal Hall of Fame. Well deserved, all of them. Absolutely, and and that's one of the reasons we really wanted to get you on. You're a great guest, and and fun to talk baseball with you. Um, let's go individually. I'll start with Tommy Her. What what? And again, you had a front row seat watching these guys. What stands out about Tommy Her when you were watching him play? He was a baseball player, uh, and by that I mean he had he he did everything. He did everything. Uh, he studied the game. Uh, very consistent. Uh, you know, switch hitter. Uh, here's a guy that drove in a hundred and hundred plus runs and only had eight home runs. So, uh, you know, that was a, a, a great accomplishment there. He told me, he told me, I talked to him about that one day. Uh, I think it was at our last reunion. He said that, uh, 38 of those RBIs came without getting a hit. And that's just, just just smart baseball. You know, Vince Coleman would get on Ozzie would get him and steal second Ozzie would get him to third and Tommy had hit a ground ball up the middle for an RBI or a fly ball. So he was just, he was a very, very smart baseball player. I thought, I thought at one time that he was going to be a major league manager. I really did. That's how much he knew the game. Can you, can you explain for our audience who didn't watch it? Maybe they're my age. I, I was born in 92, so I was not around to watch the 85 Cardinals, but Tell us a little bit about how that happens. 110 RBI with eight home runs, three triples. I mean, that, that is completely foreign in today's game. Can you, can you explain to us what it was like to watch that as it was taking place? Well, it was actually fun because it was a combination of our top three guys. Uh, you know, Tommy hitting in the third spot and uh, most of the time protected by Jack Clark hitting behind him. But Vince Coleman, you got to realize, was stealing, you know, 70, 70 to 100 bases a year. And, of course, Ozzy, with his bat control, uh, was just, uh, you know, phenomenal. He could get that runner from, uh, from second to third, uh, you know, 90-plus 90, 90 uh, of the time, percent of the time. So, you know, Tommy was constantly hitting with a guy on third base with one out or, or, or no outs. And, and he was, uh, he was uh, the type of hitter that would give himself up. If the infill was back, he'd take a ground ball. If they were in, which they did come in at times, We Bill. lost Nick Leva. Did we, did we lose him? <laughs> I think we lost Nick Leva. All right. We can try to get him back, too. But um, that is amazing. I didn't realize in that season that all those were done without, you know, a base hit, which so is incredible. He led the league in sacrifice flies that year, Dan. What he do you have? 13 of them. Wow. He had five uh, sacrifice bunts as well. So he ended up with 18 sacrifice hits in the 1985 season. And we have Nick Leva now back on the line. Nick, we did when, when you were finishing up there, we, we had heard you talking about what it was like to watch that and how remarkable it was and the guys that were in front of Tom Herr in that 1985 series, if you want to, or 1985 season, if you want to pick up from there. Yeah, you know, we, it, it took the combination of the three guys at the top. And, of course, and, and most of the time, Jack Clark hitting behind Tommy, so they were going to pitch to Tommy. Um, you know, with Vince Coleman stealing 70, 80, 90, sometimes even 100 bases, uh, he was always on second base after a hit. And then Ozzy, with his bat control, he'd get him over to third base. Uh, and so Tommy, I don't know how many times he hit with a runner at third base and, you know, one out or no outs. And all he had to do was hit a ground ball if the infield was back or if the infield came in, which they did at times, he'd look for something to drive and hit a fly ball. So 38 times, I think he said he told me that, he got a he got an RBI without getting a base hit. That's a quite a bit. 
Absolutely. And uh, let's talk a little bit about John Tudor. So he starts out, what, whatever it was, one in seven, then wins 20 of 21. Probably could have won the uh, Cy Young that year. He finds a little mechanical flaw, or at least a friend of his that knew him found the mechanical flaw. Uh, I'm assuming when he took the mound and got in that role, you guys felt you're going to win every fifth day. Well, you know what, John was a, he was uh after he after he found himself was a strike thrower. He kept the ball down in the uh, in the zone. And of course that change up uh that right handed hitters would roll over on was was his bread and butter because you know, by the way, we had uh Terry Pendleton at third and Nazi Smith at short on the left side and that's where all the balls went. There wasn't a whole lot of balls that went through that infield. So, you know, I give I give John uh so much credit for what he did in getting that ground ball. And, of course, our defense was solid. And then, of course, Tommy Hur at second base. Absolutely. And I was thinking about this as I was watching uh, Tommy and, and John make their acceptance speeches. But you have Tommy Hur, you got Ozzie, you got McGee, you got Coleman, you got Tudor, you got Suter, you got Whitey, either baseball Hall of Famers or in the Cardinals Hall of Fame. You mentioned Terry Pendleton. He becomes an MVP with the Braves but was sensational with the Cardinals. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know if it – it just kind of reminded me again, Nick, of just how good the baseball was and how good the players were in that era of the 1980s, man. It was loaded. It was loaded. You know, uh, first of all, you have to give credit to Whitey Herzog because he got these guys to play. They loved him. And then uh, I'm going I'm to uh, give some of, our, some of our coaches a little recognition. You know, uh, Mike Rourke, uh, our pitching coach, did a great job. Johnny Lewis, our hitting guy, did a great job. And and my job at third base would, uh, became very easy with the type of speeds that we that we had with Coleman and Willie McGee and Ozzie and Tommy Hur, a smart base runner. So we had some speed, which uh, which made up for a lot of my mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> hey Nick, I did want to ask you about the other Hall of Famer from that era that went in this weekend, and that's Keith Hernandez. In my opinion, long overdue being able to get into the Cardinals Hall of Fame. What was it like for you to watch one of the best defensive, if not the best defensive, first baseman, and then obviously a tremendous hitter as well going in over the weekend? Well, you know, he was a Gold Glover for so many years, and and you don't you you don't know what it's like until you don't have that guy. You know, you don't know what it's like to have a center fielder that tracks everything down until you don't have him. Uh, and Keith was just—he uh, was—he was like a machine over at first base. Anything in that in his area, balls in the dirt, balls up the line. You know, he—he he was just tremendous, uh, tremendous hands over there at first base. And of course, his hitting—you um, know—he—he—he he, he really came on. I know that he was one of the guys that uh, that that loved Harry the Hat Walker. And, you know, he, he took a lot of, of, of his own stuff, but he also took some recommendations on his swing from Harry the Hat Walker. And, you know, that made him a 300-plus hitter uh, almost every year from there on up. I'm curious, um, did you have to give these guys any signs? Because I, I remember talking with Willie, and one time Willie told me that he's at first base, and Whitey, and he does it. So one pitch goes by, doesn't run. Another pitch goes by, doesn't run. And finally, Whitey kind of walks down the dugout and yells, blankety to blank, run. And so I'm curious <laughs> if those guys always just had the green light and you didn't even have to worry about flashing signs because they knew the game, they were speedsters, and more times than not, they were going to have success. Yeah, they were, they were, they were, they had the green light, uh, you know, and, and 
The only the only uh, sign that really they got was a hit and run. If we were gonna we were gonna hit and run because we had a guy at the plate that could handle the bat and try to go first and third, uh, you know that was the only time. And the one sign that I did have was a hold sign. <laughs> don't yes. go, don't go this pitch. You know we're 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 thinking there might be a pitch out. Uh, if if you steal second base, they're gonna walk the next guy on deck, and we want him to, you know, the guy at the plate and pitch the guy on deck, and we'd rather have the guy at the plate hitting. So that's really the only my only job was to come to stop sign and of course wave them home when they came around third base. Nick, what do you think that team would be like in today's game? Like if I took all of those players from their primes and we just plopped them into 2021 baseball, do you think they would play the same way? And if so, how do you think that would go in today's game? Well, you know what? I think they would play the same way. I um, mean, you know, they they weren't. You know, when you talk about uh, bat speed and you talk about launch angle. Uh, I'm not too sure, other than the fact that maybe a power hitter like Jack Clark would would make the adjustments because they were so successful the other way. But now with modern technology and the information that these individuals are getting from laptops and computers uh, and video, I think they would they might even be better. You know, we didn't have all that technology back then. Uh, we pretty much did it on our own. I remember sitting sitting before a game and watching Whitey Herzog chart the game from the night before of, of where people hit what and where. And uh, he did it all with colored pencils. Now, nowadays you push one button and you get all the information. It's amazing. It is amazing. And, and a lot of people said that, you know, Whitey had the analytics written down anyway. So it was fun to see how he would dissect things. Um, Nick, it's the final year of Mike Shannon behind the microphone um, and celebrating 50 years here in St. Louis. And obviously, we all know a great player in the 60s and then uh, transitioned to the booth. What are your memories of Mike Shannon and traveling with Mike and some of the fun you probably had with him? He's a legend. He's a legend to me. He was, uh, he's just one of those guys that uh, always wanted to do things for people. You know, he loved to, he loved to go off on the road and he'd always take care of you. And if you wanted to go, he'd make sure that you were part of the group. Uh, he was just, he's one of those guys that uh, it won't be long before he's in the baseball hall of fame, not necessarily even the Cardinal hall of fame, but I think he, he's well-deserved to be a hall of famer up in Cooperstown. The other New thing York. we celebrated over the weekend here in St. Louis, Nick was uh, Lou Brock and Bob Gibson. And it was the first time with fans in the stands that we've been able to do that. I, I remember talking to John Mosaylock at the time, I believe it was of Bob Gibson's passing, and he said the secret sauce for the Cardinals over the years was being able to have guys like Gibby and Brock be down in the dugout during spring training in particular, where you've got Hall of Famers that are able to actually go down there and give tips and tricks of the trade to these young players in the Cardinals system. When you were coaching within the Cardinals organization, what was it like to have those two in particular available to you as a resource? Well, I'll tell you what, I was odd. Uh, I would, I would, uh, of course, being a base coach, I would talk to Lou Brock and, you know, maybe get some tips of, uh, of what to look for from a pitcher because he was so good at reading moves and, and getting great jumps. But, uh, you know, you talk to them about that. Gibby, I kind of left by himself. I was scared of Gibby. <laughs> you weren't the only one. <laughs> if, I, if I did something bad, he might hit me with a baseball, you know? No, he was, uh, he would give information to, to our pitchers, you know? I kind of try to stay away from the pitching area. The only thing I know about pitching, it was hard to hit, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> but, but he was uh, fun to be know, around, I, I, I bet. Yeah. 
I sat in a room one day in spring training down at the old Al Lang Stadium in St. Petersburg, and I walk in, and I walk into the coach's room, and there's eight Hall of Famers sitting in that room. Hall of Famers. I mean, you're talking and, – and, and then Ozzy walks in, who, who wasn't in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Bruce Suter walks in, you know. Whitey Herzog walks in. Those guys weren't in there, but you had you had Brock and Musial and you know Gibby and um, just the, the number of people. Jack Buck. I mean, just talking baseball, and uh, I was kind of odd, man. Here's this here's this uh, little old young uh, coach on the Cardinal team, and and I'm sitting amongst all these superstars, Hall of Famers, man. It was. It was just an awesome feeling to listen to those guys talk. I sat in the corner and listened. Absolutely. Hey, Nick, thanks for hopping on and your recollections of some of these great players that we've had in uh, St. Louis. We really appreciate it, and uh, don't be a stranger. And uh, thanks again for coming on on 101 ESPN. Oh, anytime, guys. Uh, it's always great. Uh, you know, that was my, my first team. I was with the St. Louis organization for 17 years uh, before I moved on, and the only reason I moved on because I got an opportunity to manage in the big leagues in Philadelphia. Uh, otherwise, I wish I was still there. Absolutely. Any, any of the front, if any of the front office people are uh, are uh, listening, I'm ready to come out of retirement and go back. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll make sure they know. Thanks, Nick. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much, guys. You Have got fun. it. You got it. That's uh, Nick Leva and longtime coach uh, with the St. Louis Cardinals. He made me think of something. When Jamie Wright was acquired in, I can't remember what year it was, early 2000s, Spent a little time in St. Louis, and he had bounced around all over the place. But he said, you know, I've been some places, he said, but my first day I walk in the clubhouse, and there's Musial, there was Gibson, there was something going on at the ballpark, there's Lou Brock, uh, Whitey was there, Tony LaRusso obviously managing, and he said, holy smokes. He's like, this place really is different, and it is part of the secret sauce. And that's why I hope that we can get back to normalcy next spring training when you do have, and, and David Freeze intimated to me, he would love to be in uniform as an instructor. Jimmy Edmonds is down there. Obviously, Willie in uniform. Ricky Ankeel gets in uniform. Ludwig back, right? Ryan Ludwig is back. He was in town last week and uh, working with John Moselock. Um, you know, they are resources, and Mike Schilt is very good about saying, hey, we don't don't feel shy about coming and, and being a part of the family. And if you want to learn for your own uh, perspective of how things are done because things have really changed 5, 10, 15 years ago with the analytics and how a camp is run and all those kind of things. But you have so much to offer. So don't sit back and just watch. Get involved. Mm-hmm. Ozzy does it. Ozzy's like doing a clinic down there, you know, with the young players and even with the young and for a long time, Colton Wong, those kind of things. They are great resources and we have those kind of players in St. Louis. Well, that's like what, what Nick was talking about with um, with Lou Brock, with the reading the picture and knowing what the tell is. You can look at every number on a sheet of paper, every single one of them. And we do, right? We, we've got all of that stuff readily available to us on the outside even now. You can't do that. Like, that's different. You can't see that anywhere on any sheet of paper. That is something that is specific to one of the greatest to ever do it in that specific skill. And if you're able to get a tell off of a pitcher, that does more for you than any number in the world. Right. That is the thing that will help you go from maybe it's a 15 stolen base guy to a 25 stolen base guy. And it's a complete game changer. So, yeah, as much as these numbers, like, I do think they have a place in, in the game. I think they're helpful for a lot of these players. 
the old school stuff still matters, though. You can't lose all of that while implementing some of this uh, numerical value. So th- those guys are huge. And it is when I heard John Mozeliak say that last year, I thought it was so right. Like, that's the secret sauce that's made the Cardinals who they are. I asked uh, Lou Brock one time, I said, how did you steal off of left handed pitchers? You know, what was like your tell or your key? And I'd never really heard this. He said, well, I look at his his back foot and if the weight is on his back foot, it would tell me if he was going to push off or not. Wow. So, I mean, just little things like that. And maybe a player picks up on something like that and, you know, it resonates with them and, and all of a sudden they, they read lefties different. I mean, it's just little things that guys can add. It's always welcome. And the Cardinals have had those guys. Uh, we're going to go around Major League Baseball coming up. A lot of news and notes from over the weekend, including a milestone for Miguel Cabrera. This is the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. Enjoyed that visit with uh, Nick Leva. You looked up really uh, an interesting stat as it pertains to Tommy Herr and the lack of home runs, but yeah. driving in runs. What'd you find? So in the last 35 years, Tom Herr was able to do this where he had 110 RBI and fewer than 10 home runs in 1985. The only other guy to do it in that span of 35 years was Paul Molitor back in 1996 when he was 39 years old, by the way, Paul Molitor. Did it when he was 39 years old. Nine home runs, 113 RBI for the Minnesota Twins. They were the only two to do that in the last 40 years of Major League Baseball. It's an incredible achievement. We had somebody on the text line that said, BK, uh, maybe you don't understand how fun that was to watch, but it was remarkable. No, 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 no. Quite the opposite. I wish we saw more of something like that. That speaks to the action that the Cardinals played with in 1985, and we don't see that very much in today's game. It's a different game. Um... I'll be interested in looking at the numbers after this season is through of what kind of ballpark that Bush Stadium has turned into. Have you looked at some of the numbers? Not yeah. just from the Cardinals. I mean, even opposing teams that you go, man, that, that offense is loaded. It has become a tough hitters ballpark. Mm-hmm. And I do think, matter of fact, I know that with some of the buildings that have been constructed in Ballpark Village, it's changed some of the wind patterns. Um, and I know I'm going on a different subject here, but you think about exciting baseball. What is it? Doubles, triples, action, not just home runs. It's become a tough place to hit a home run. Really well, has. And that's where, like, whenever we talk about OPS plus, and I know these numbers can become just mumbo jumbo sometimes, but what they do is they incorporate the ballpark factors that you're talking about. So, for example, Nolan Arenado last year played at Coors Field, which is obviously a great hitters park now he's playing at a pitcher's park and so if you look at the overall numbers like the batting average uh the slugging they might look down to you but if you look at them compared to the places where he's playing they're pretty similar to what they were at coors field when you adjust for those ballpark factors so it's a really important thing to consider and dan the other thing is you also have to consider those things when you're building your club because you're playing half of your games in that ballpark so Build your club to that park. Sure. That's Build what Whitey with, did with the uh, old Cardinals in the 80s. Absolutely. Have more guys that profile as gap-to-gap doubles hitters. That'll help you out on this club. Or you can just change the dimensions. You can do that, too. Yeah. Either way. You whatever you prefer. Too. Bring them on in. Royals fans have been talking about that for 20 years. Absolutely. Bring in the, the fences. Uh, Willie Wilson, though, he would put that ball down in the corner, and then he gets stuck under the wall and kind of go around in a circle. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? That little arch that they would have there, and he'd be off to the races. But, uh, well, Whitey helped build that team, too. All right, some of the things that are going on in baseball. 
baseball. Miguel Cabrera, a little history yesterday. The 1-1. Deep fly ball. Right center field. That's got carry. It's gone. Number 500 and history for Miguel Cabrera. So he is one of four players, and by the way, the 28th player for the 500 home run club, but one of four players in the history of the game, 500 home runs, and also hit for the Triple Crown, win a World Series, and an MVP. Jimmy Fox, Mickey Mantle, Frank Robinson, and now Miguel Cabrera. And uh, he's also the first from Venezuela to do that, to bash 500 career home runs and he is very close to getting 3,000 hits. He'll be the first to do that. He's just a, a tremendous player. I love the the all-around angle of him as a player. He's very likely going to finish with at least a 300 batting average. He already has more than 500 doubles. Now he has 500 homers, and he's 45 hits away from 3,000. When he gets there, because he very likely will, he will join Hank Aaron and Willie Mays as the only player since 1900 to have at least a 300 batting average, 500 doubles, 500 homers, and 3,000 hits. It's amazing. Amazing career. I'm not sure we've given it enough when I was starting to look at some so. of those things that you were saying, and the guys that have had 500 home runs and a 300 average, is he's one of five now. Yep. Man, I mean, how good has he been? I mean, how- when you win a triple crown, it's been done, I, I think it's once in the last 45 years, uh, and, it, and it was Cabrera. I mean, that's it's such an unbelievable achievement, and he is he's a rare breed in today's game. It's basically really when you look at it, he's probably the closest thing of this era to Pujols. Those two guys are probably the two that stand out to me as just true all around. They could do everything as hitters at the plate. So the Braves, they continue to win. The O's do not pitch Mm. swing and a shot hammered toward left center field. Mullins on the run. Can't get it. Braves will add on. Freeman scores. Here comes Swanson around third. They're going to bring him home. Do fall with a double. It's 3-0 Atlanta. The Braves have won nine in a row. They can't lose on the road right now. And they've opened up a five-game lead over the Phillies, seven in front of the Mets. And for the Orioles, that's 18 straight losses. And they had a good pitcher on the mound that threw a no-hitter earlier this year against the Red Sox and John Means. And you wonder if you can't win with him, and I think he gave him a quality start. If you can't win with him, when is it going to stop? I don't know, man. And the other thing is, like, it's not as if we're talking about a team that is just starting to go through their downward cycle. This has been going on for a while now. This is something that baseball has to address in their next CBA. I don't know how they do it. I don't know specifically what you can do to incentivize or maybe even penalize a team for going through this tanking, but... In the last four years now, Dan, the Orioles won 45, 47 games in 2018. They won 54 games in 2019. Last year, they were 25 and 35. Throw that out. And this year, they're on pace to win like 45 to 50 once again. They're 38 and 85 with a run differential of minus 233. It's embarrassing yeah. for the sport that this is taking place for basically the third straight year at this level. Can't happen, and they've got to find a way to eliminate this moving forward. I would think that uh, you will see a floor coming up in the next CBA, which was proposed at $100 million. That uh, Teams would have to spend a minimum on a payroll of $100 million, but we'll have to wait and see. Stick with the American League. Major League Baseball announced that Red Sox will take on the Orioles in the 2022 Little League Classic. I thought it was really cool last night. Again, Mike Trout was so involved with it. You had Shohei Otani 
uh, two of the biggest stars in the game, mingling with the Little League guys. I think that's awesome. Absolutely. It. It's something cool that baseball is able to do. I remember football for, I think it was a Thanksgiving game. It was the Chicago Bears, and I can't remember who they played. Uh, they had a Nickelodeon-style broadcast. I think that's something that Major League Baseball should look into as well. Find a way to appeal to a younger crowd, not as the main broadcast, Ian, but as another option. Yeah. The main broadcast can stay the same. It's been the way it is for a reason. But if you have these additional options for people, I think that's where you can maybe make a little bit of headway. So the Rays have a four-and-a-half game lead over the uh, New York Yankees in the American League East, but they put their DH, Nelson Cruz, on the COVID-19 list. The A's continue ballpark plans in Oakland and Vegas. And speaking of little leaguers, some history over the weekend. His first pitch in the air from Brancaleone. Teeing in left. It's a no-hitter! Eli Jones has done it! First complete game no-hitter by one pitcher in the Little League World Series since 2015. Um, as much as I love seeing the interaction with the, the Major League guys and Little League and you're exposing the game in a positive way, I don't know if I like seeing all the Little League guys on TV. Huh. There's a lot of pressure put on those kids. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't know. I'm kind of torn with it. I love it. I think it's great. So I'm kind of counterpointing my own point here. But I don't know if it's good to have all those games on TV. I I have gotten into this weird place, Dan, where I cringe sometimes watching the pitching as well. I saw a stat over the weekend that one of them threw like 595 pitches in the Little League World Series, and that just made me want to curl up into a ball. Mm. And that makes me a little soft. I get that completely, but no, it doesn't. I know I know what we see with these pitchers and what with what their arms end up becoming. It just makes me cringe watching the numbers that some of them are putting up. And I know there's a limit now, which is good, but man, sometimes you watch how many games they are starting. Oof. It's rough. Reds over the Marlins. Tyler Naquin, a huge weekend series. Five runs scored and puts a charge into one. Right center field. Kiss that baby goodbye. Another drive. Tyler Naquin. How about a two-home run day? So he had two, and over the weekend, it was either seven or eight extra base hits in the weekend series against the Marlins. So the Reds right now in the wild card, they would be in if it ended today. They're a game in front of San Diego. Cardinals are four and a half out of the wild card and only three and a half back now of the San Diego Padres. Phillies beat the Padres 7-4. Met, uh, Mets beat the Dodgers 7-2. They take three of four. And so, um, I'm sorry, drop three of four. The Mets do against the Dodgers. Javier Baez did return to their lineup. They're expected to get Lindor back probably this week, but it may be too late because in the wild card, there's seven back. And I mentioned earlier, they're way out now in the East. Okay, that does it for our show. You have, or do you have Alex Ferrario coming up? We do not have Alex Ferrario this week. He is okay. out. It's his final vacation that he's able to take before hockey season officially gets going. Um, he's going to be with me in Memphis next weekend. So I think he's resting up for that experience as well. So with all of that coming up, he's out this week. We've got Mark Saxon in pinch hitting for him today, though. So we're going to have a ton of Cardinals talk between now and the end of the show. We've got Katie Wu coming up at 1130. And one of my favorite baseball guys in the business, Mike Farron of MLB Network Radio, is going to join the show coming up at 12 o'clock as well. You've been listening to Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise.